Good morning. How are you guys doing here this today? This today. <laughs> you guys doing good? That's good. Well, let's all stand on up. We're going to talk about one thing that never changes. It's always been the same. And it's our God's love for us. Let's sing about these things. It's higher than the mountains that I face. It's stronger than the power. in the trial and the change this one thing remains your love your love never fails and never gives up and never runs out on me your love never fails and never gives up and never runs out on me amen your love never fails and never gives up and never runs out on me 
God's love is amazing. You guys can take your seats. We've got a couple announcements for you here this morning. Well, good morning. It's so good to be with you. It's so good to be sitting up there hearing all these voices. 
I thank God for that. Got a couple announcements for you. I want to start with this. The most excellent way on Monday nights here on campus is the Addictions Victory Group that we lead, my wife and I and, and many others. And then on Tuesday nights, we're at West Salem Baptist um, on their campus. They let us use their campus, and we're watching lives be transformed. As God is taking people out of addiction from that darkness and that trap and the shackles of it and setting them free, and then they have life, and life indeed. Amen? Amen. Now, here's what some of you don't know, okay? And here's why I want to make this announcement. I'll do it quick, and then i got a couple more. But it's this, we have a friends and family side of the most excellent way that we have not pushed here. And because of COVID, we haven't said much about it in the last 16 months. But now that we're back, coming out of what we just all came out of, it could very well be that your family has been touched by addiction. And really in America, that is the reality. There is really not a family that's not getting touched by this. The friends and family side is a a side of it where the ladies can get together and actually talk through, how do I not give up on my friend or family member? and work through the lesson and actually have some great materials that Glenn and Judy Wright developed back in the early 80s that are transcendent because it's all based off the word of God. And the men are also gonna be meeting on the other end of the building and we're gonna have a friends and family side for the men. How do I not give up on somebody? How do I not become codependent? How do I not enable them, but still come alongside them and love them and help them as God wants to transform their lives? We haven't talked much about that, but we have that available and I wanted now that COVID's done and we're all back together to say, hey folks, it's there for you. There is no stigma coming to the most excellent way. We're all a bunch of beggars telling other beggars where to get bread. And by the way, the king that's handing it out wants to adopt you. Amen? <laughs> Secondly, men, 7 a.m., behind that wall right up there, down from the elevator, we've been meeting and doing the fundamentals of the faith, uh, kind of an extended version. So we've been doing a great preaching series. I think Pastor Pete, Pastor Justin, and for all of us that have been getting together and sitting underneath that, hasn't it been encouraging? What we're doing is going through the actual materials from the class. Thank you for that clap. That means you care about Pete. I'm going to get him in a minute. But here's the thing about it is this gives you an opportunity, men, to be able to come and actually talk through a thought you might have or a question you have as we're diving deeper and we're going through the materials of the fundamentals of the faith. We did the whole Godhead this morning, like Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all in one session. We were like drinking from a fire hose. It was awesome. But the reality is... Then guys get to ask a question. We get to discuss what the Word of God says, and that's been good. So 7 a.m. behind that, if we pack that thing out, that'll be awesome. Uh, I'm going to bring the donuts. Now, here's the thing. You already got a card for that. It didn't have a time on it, so now you know what time it is. 7 a.m. behind that wall up there upstairs. Ladies, there is an exciting event coming up in early November for you all. Let's watch this video. It's going to inform you more about that. God's word is at work. It always has been, and even now, it is living and active. In the world, there is so much vying for our attention, thoughts, and hearts. As believers, we know and can trust in the power of God's work through his word, always true, relevant, and unwavering. Do you crave an opportunity to recapture these truths and the passion we can have for Him and His Word? Hi, I'm Megan Simnett. And I'm Julie Bernard. We are excited to invite the women of the Willamette Valley to a special event, the Word Speaks Conference. Our purpose is simple to champion a passion for God's Word and to learn to trust the power of God's Word in our lives to transform us. 
This event will be taking place at the beautiful Oregon Gardens on November 5th and 6th. And we have the privilege of learning from Jen Wilkin and Elizabeth Woodson, who are both Bible teachers at the Village Church in Texas. They share our passion that women would know and love their Savior and become students of the Word of God. Plan to join us for this special occasion of women gathering together for great teaching, worship, and connection. A great time, and I know the women's ministry would love for all of you guys to be there. We're going to introduce a new song here this morning that talks about victory, and I don't think it's an accident that Pastor Matt just got up to remind us of the ministry there. You see, we really believe that God, once He gets a heart, and once their heart is changed, it's not going to be recovery, it's not going to be just a moment by moment. Am I, am I okay? No, we really believe because Christ died and was buried and rose again, that there's no sin, that there's nothing in this life that he can't have victory over. Do you believe that? And that's what this song's all about. Whether in this life or the next, that we will see a victory. Not man-made, not by any effort of our own, but by the God of the universe that came here 2,000 years ago and that's preparing a place for each one of us who believe him. So as you uh, hear this song this morning, as you get comfortable with it, I encourage you to sing it out to your God who provides victory.
quite often about that guy in the Old Testament. His name's Joseph. Consider his life thrown into a pit, sold, put in prison twice unjustly. And then at the end of his life, the people that did that, his own family came back asking for help. And what did he say? It wasn't retribution. It wasn't hate. It wasn't vengeance. It was forgiveness. And he said this, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And what the enemy means for evil in our life, God uses for good. You believe that? We're going to sing it like this. And you take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. And you turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it
Father God, we sing those words to you. We sing those words as the one we can look back to in our own life and see moment by moment by moment when you did something in us, God, that was not of ourselves. Whether you protected us, whether your word spoke so clearly and we had to do something about it, or when we had a battle in our own life, something that we did not have victory in and we asked you for help and you provided it. Because you rose again, God, there's nothing in this life that holds power over you. You rose again, you defeated and had victory over death and sin. And there's nothing in this life that's too big, too powerful, too overwhelming. God, you are the victor. You are the overcomer. God, thank you so much for this time. God, thank you for Pastor Pete. Thank you for his leadership. And I pray now as he speaks your words to us through your word, God, help us to listen and to take heed to what you have us to be about today. We love you and pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning, church. Man, it's so good to be with you. Were you encouraged by our time of worship this morning? Why do we worship? It's to prime our hearts. Uh, we are called to worship corporately to the Lord, to proclaim the truth that we believe, that he has revealed about himself to us. So it's, a, it's an act of worship, right? But, but worship does something for us at the same time. It prepares our hearts and our minds to hear from God's word. And that's why we're here this morning. The church comes together because God has something to say. And he has something for us this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to grab them. Uh, this is the time to open them up, to turn them on, and find your way to Galatians chapter 5. We are in the middle of our summer series called The Fundamentals of the Faith. And uh, this morning we're going to be tackling the first of what are called in Scripture the three enemies. I don't know about you, I don't know how your week went, but I know for me, this week has not been free of challenges. Not just physical challenges, maybe not getting enough sleep, standing out in the sun too long, those types of challenges, but the types of challenges that are spiritual. Because the reality is, is that every day you and I are engaged in a spiritual battle, and it's intense. It's real. It has the ability to impact us, has the ability to, to manipulate us and to influence us, to discourage us. And the reality is, is that you and I, we don't always see this battle. We don't see it because it's spiritual. Although it kind of has an influence in the physical realm, oftentimes we can sense this battle going on around us, but we can't see it. And so the Bible tells us to be aware of this battle. It says that the things that we are going to face in life are not just flesh and blood. They're not, not you know, this right here is not the battle. It oftentimes is part of the manifestation of the things that are going on inside of us and going on around us. But the battle that Scripture warns us against is a battle that is spiritual. And so uh, these enemies that are attacking us, that we're going to talk about over the next several weeks, um, they are out for not our good. They are out to destroy. They're out to 
sidetracked us. And it's, impo it's impossible to endure life as we kind of do battle with the three enemies and not face maybe some, some wounds. In fact, I would say wounds are inevitable because the battle is fierce. And so we want you to be ready. So before we get into this morning where we're going to look at the first of the three enemies, the flesh, we wanted to just kind of encourage you that when we embark on this journey, this spiritual battle, we endeavor to kind of understand it more and to see the provision that Christ has given us to overcome these enemies, to have victory in the name of Jesus, to have victory because he rose from the grave, because he is the King of kings, he is the Lord of lords. Uh, we want to make sure that we're ready. Now, in battle, uh, there are people on the, on the battlefield called medics. They run around, and, and on, the, on the battlefront, you're called to come alongside. And a lot of not, now, nowadays, a lot of times, soldiers are trained with basic medical abilities so that as they're out there, they have supplies to be able to treat wounds and be able to get someone safely back to where maybe they need more significant medical attention. And so as we embark on this journey to investigate the three enemies, I think it's important for us to pack a medical bag. Because it is very possible that as we begin to talk about each one of these enemies, that you might begin to be stirred in your spirit. In fact, what God is intending to be a source of conviction, and by conviction, not that kind of authoritarian like, see, I told you, I'm so disappointed in you, but the conviction of, this is going on, do you see it? Can I, can I help expose something that might be a blind spot to you? And can you, will you allow me to come in and help you deal with it? This conviction that he wants to stir up in us might sometimes be misunderstood as condemnation. Or in fact, the enemies might actually try to use this conviction in a negative way. The battle is intense. And so we want to declare, just right off the bat, three declarations. Three things that we want you to remember as we embark on this journey. The first is this. You are His. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you believe that Jesus was not just a man that lived several thousand years ago, but that He was the Son of God that took on human flesh, lived a perfect life, so that He could die on the cross for not His own sins, but the sins of everyone who has lived. And in doing so, conquering sin, paying the penalty for sin, now offers freely to you salvation from your sins by just believing. If that's true for you, the Bible tells you that you are now in the family of God. You are His. You are part of the family. You're part of the flock. And in John, it tells us there's nothing that can be done to you that will remove you from the Father's hand. So even if it's true, over the next three or four weeks as we unpack these three enemies and you begin to start to feel convicted, go, man, I'm really struggling in this area and I, I need to do business with this area. And you might begin to start to feel discouraged or start to worry how God sees you. Scriptures tell us that if you placed your faith in Christ, he looks at you right now knowing all of your junk and everything that you've done this week that hasn't been in step with what he says is his best. He still looks at you and he sees the sun and he says, holy and blameless. Second declaration. You will experience conviction, but not condemnation. In this series, if you're paying attention and you're soft, you will be convicted. I can tell you that from preparing for this morning. Conviction is a good thing. Condemnation is a lie for those who are in Christ. 
third declaration. When you falter, you must confess it and trust Christ's finished work. When you realize, that, hey, I've been struggling and, and, I, and I've been giving in to the flesh or I've been uh, kind of buying into what the world is going to tell me uh, I need to be about and it's going to draw me away from the Lord. Right? I begin to maybe follow a, a, a different master, it says. And allow Satan and his demons to influence me and to draw me away from the Lord. If, if, that, if, that, if there's some kind of conviction or something that's exposed in you, for those who are in Christ, we have the beautiful privilege of confessing that to the Lord. And the promise in 1 John that says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a beautiful verse, because it says he is faithful, meaning he will always do it. He is just, he actually has the means to do it because he already paid for your sins in his death, burial, and resurrection. But not only will he forgive you, wipe away those sins, they've already been paid for, it says he will restore you, cleanse you from all all unrighteousness. He will wash you. He He will cause you to become in your mind, before him, that, that he removes it. It can actually be able to equip you to overcome that bent or that struggle that you maybe repeatedly trip up against. So this morning, we're going to tackle the first of the three enemies. And I got to believe that even in your time, maybe even getting this morning, maybe, I don't know about you, but maybe this morning just feels a little bit different to you. I don't know. I don't know how your week is. I got to believe, though, that anytime we're going to tackle something like the sinful nature, our flesh, and we're getting ready to come to church and we're coming into the room, uh, perhaps there's, there's been already spiritual attack against you. There's already been lies, little darts thrown by the enemy to try to get you thinking, already trying to sabotage your ability to hear what God's word has to say this morning. I've been praying in advance that, that, that God will protect us from that. But I have just three goals for us this morning is to first just define what is the flesh. Uh, for some of you this morning, you might be a guest, and if you are, welcome. We, we are so thankful you are here. This is a great message if you're a first time to Salem Heights, or perhaps maybe uh, you, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You're just discovering, you're, you're kind of investigating this. Maybe you've been invited by a friend. I want to make sure that we're all on the same page of what the flesh is. The second thing I want us to be able to do is what does it do? And the third is how do we overcome it? Now, there, like we've said every week in this series, there's so many scriptural passages that we could go to to try to be able to unpack and to teach. But this morning, we're going to kind of camp out in Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16 and reading through verse 25. So if you have a copy of God's Word, or even if you don't, the words will be on the screen. Will you stand with me as we read God's Word this morning? Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. If you're ready, say ready. ready. This is the Word of the Lord. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, Outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I'm warning you about these things, as I've warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Do you believe there's something in this passage for us this morning? I believe there is. You may be seated. Father God, I just ask now that you would kind of remove the distractions in our minds. That, Lord, even right now, the, the reality that, that we all have a flesh, that we all have a sinful nature, that right now, even if we are saved, it's going to do battle to distract us. It's going to do battle to discourage us. It's going to do battle to disarm us. God, I pray that you would protect us from that and that you would allow your word to clearly speak into our hearts and our minds this morning. God, thank you for delivering us from the flesh. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. When we think about an enemy, I think it's easier for us to understand the idea of opposition that's outside of us, something that's coming at us, something that we have to get prepared to kind of take a stand and fight off, or in some cases, something that we know is out there that has bad intentions against us, and we're not going to wait for the battle to come. We're going to go engage it and try to disarm it ourselves. And so when we think about the three enemies, let me first off just say, what does the Bible say are the three enemies for any believer? The first is the flesh. We're going to talk about that this morning. The second is the world. This broken, sinful world that's been marred by sin uh, has something that's not for us, and yet it's trying to draw us into participation. And the third is the devil, that adversary, the accuser, the father of lies, And all the demons, all the fallen angels that followed him that are at work trying to thwart God's plans and to to draw people away and are attempting to prevent people from believing in the saving work of the gospel. I think it's easier for us maybe to understand the the Satan. You know, he's he's out there. It's a spiritual thing, but we believe he's real and and we believe that he has power. He doesn't have the power to to remove us from God's hand, but he does have the power to to try to influence and discourage and and throw little darts that the Bible says are, are these things that we're supposed to defend against. And I think we can understand that we live in this world and that there's a lot of things in this world that are broken and we got to kind of have our guard up, right? Every day we got to put on the armor of God. We got to be careful what we're watching and what we're talking about, what we're investing our time in. But the one thing that I think we sometimes don't give credit to or we don't acknowledge, sometimes we almost say, well, the devil is really attacking me or man, this world system is really broken, is that one of the three enemies is actually inside us. So we can go away to the mountains on a retreat and try to get away from the world system, disconnect from technology, and we can try to only go with people that are going to, uh, you know, be good and encouraging and talk to us about faith. But the reality is, no matter where we go, this enemy is there. Now, the good news for all of us in the room this morning is that the Spirit of God, if you believed in Christ, is right there as well. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives inside of you. He has already overcome your flesh. He's already overcome the devil. He's already overcome this world. He is the true king. So we are never alone. And we have not been left to fight this battle on our own. But regardless, it's still a battle. The flesh is the enemy within. It's a saboteur disguised as a friend trying to entice us into things that aren't really that bad that are actually for our good, and yet its bent is destruction. 
The flesh, then, is more than just our physical body. A simple definition in our notes for the flesh is this. The flesh in Scripture refers to our sin nature and its strong desires, or in some of our translations of the Bible, our passions that are hostile towards God. When we think of the flesh, it's, it's not just this body and the fact that it's breaking down every day. We're, you know, it's, even if we're trying to stay fit, we're trying to work out, things are, as we get older are going to start to go wonky. But the reality is this. The reality is this, that the flesh is more than just the physical body. That oftentimes in Scripture, when it's referring to the flesh, it's referring to that sin nature. And that sin nature that's inside of us is part of the fall. It's, it's, been, we've been, it's been passed down to us. We're born that way. We're born with a broken nature. We sin, and then that sin nature begins to break us down. It begins to, to mess and, and thwart our thinking, and it can prevent us from actually seeking after God. And so these desires, though, are not just kind of like indifferent desires. It's like, well, the flesh just wants something different than what God wants for us. You know, what Scripture tells us is that the flesh actually has desires that are hostile towards God. And sometimes we don't like to think about that. But the reality is the Bible tells us that our flesh by ourselves, apart from God, is not just kind of, you know, just choosing to agree to disagree with God. No, our flesh is actually in rebellion against God. Wants nothing to do with Him. Actually hates Him. Is offended by Him. Wants none of His authority to have anything to do with our lives. Have you ever felt this? Think about this. I don't want to stay in the ethereal if we can. For just a moment, have you ever sensed your sin nature doing battle with this new man that the Bible says we have, the Spirit of God that we've been born again into? What would it look like if you could try to put a face on the flesh? One pastor, Eric Raymond, said this, I have put a face on my flesh. The face is doubtless, doubtlessly far too tame. However, it serves to remind me of its ugliness and deceit. The hideous and crafty character Gollum in The Lord of the Rings serves as my flesh's poster child. Gollum's incessant cry for nourishment and provision and his demonic brogue reminds me of the instability of my own flesh and my need to starve it. Like Gollum, our flesh cries for the preciousness of its desires, the fleshly desire that is to be fed on the bitter and deadly joys of sin. We look at this character and it's hideous. That's not me. That's the bad guy. That, that's a selfish... That, it, it is it, the selfishness and his obsession with something that has led him to become this gross and hideous and vile thing, only looking out for himself and willing to do whatever it takes to remove any obstacle in its way to get what it wants. That's not me. And yet scripture says our flesh is bent. It's warped. It does not desire the good things of God. It desires its own selfish desires. So this is an enemy, and it dwells within us. And thanks be to God that through our faith in the gospel, the Bible says that we are no longer bound by this enemy. 
Paul tells us in another book of the Bible, the Apostle Paul writes that you are either a slave to this sin nature, a slave to your flesh, or you are a slave to righteousness. Don't think of slavery as sometimes we think about it in American history. Think of slavery as being controlled by something. You are either controlled by your sinful desires or you're controlled by the Spirit of God. So really the Bible says there's only two options, but neither one of those options have you being the king of your kingdom. You might think that you can walk away from the Lord and say, I get to, I'm not a follower of Christ because I want to choose what I want to do and live my life the way I want to live it. The Bible says, joke's on you, you're not living your life at all. You're living the life of a sinful desire that's broken inside of you because of Adam's sin that's been passed down to you. You're broken. And even though we live in a world that has humanistic ideals, Humanism being the basic premise of humanism that we see taught and we see kind of forced and we see it kind of try to be put on display as we look around the world and we just pay attention to our culture. The base premise of humanism says you are a good person. And if we just allow you to carry out the goodness inside of you, good things will happen. And all we need to do is take a simple walk out in the hallway and look through the two-way glass into our infant and toddler nursery and see that that just falls flat. I'm not speaking about your kids, all the other kids that are in there, because your kids are basically good, right? We're not good. And the reality is our flesh is more like Gollum than we want to give it credit for. It's an enemy. And yet we will try to pacify it. We'll try to kind of live with a foot in both camps. A foot in this camp that says, I'm for Jesus, but but I'm going to still have it my way. And I'm going to try to find this kind of compromise, and that's how I'm going to walk. The Bible says you can't do that. You're either walking by means of the Holy Spirit, or you're allowing your flesh to taint your life. So what does our passage reveal to us about the flesh? says in verse 16, I say then, and again, Paul is writing to Christians. He says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. The first thing that we learn here from this passage about the flesh is that our desires, these desires of the flesh, the sinful nature, will continually tempt us even after we're saved. One of the great myths of Christianity is that if you believe in Christ, all those things that kind of were bents and vices and things that drew you into addiction will just dissipate right at that moment that you're saved. No, the truth of the Bible says those things no longer have dominion over you. They no longer have the power over you to control you how they want. Now you have a power inside of you that's greater, the Holy Spirit of God, that allows you to walk in truth. The Spirit-filled life gives you victory over the flesh. So our potential is there based on salvation. It breaks the chains but there's, there is a, 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 an abiding that we're called to because we have a choice. Even though we've been set free from the power of our flesh to no longer be controlled by it, it's still there. The Bible says that we will deal with this sin nature until we are with our Savior, and then it will be removed forever. But until that time, it's still going to be there, continually trying to tempt us and draw us away. The second thing that we see here in the text is that the desires of the flesh never lead to spiritual fruit. 
says in verse 17, For the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what's against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. Now again, he's speaking to Christians, so I think the implication from this text is that the desire is your eyes have been opened now because you are saved. You've been forgiven. You now can actually recognize the enemy. And you see it, and you don't want to go back to that former way of living. You don't want to go back to that thing that was kind of just wrecking your life, the thing that you were doing the way you were living before Christ. You don't want to go back there, and yet you have this sin nature, this flesh that's still trying to draw you back just a little bit. It's not that bad. In fact, throughout the whole book of Romans, we see this kind of this concern, right? Because what the Bible tells us in Galatians is that you have been set free in Christ. You're free. And the, war- and the concern is, well, if you're totally free, your sins are forgiven, it doesn't matter what you do. Nothing can take you out of God's family. Nothing will cause you to lose your salvation. Nothing will cause you to to not be with Jesus forever. So it doesn't matter really what you do because now you're saved. You got your fire insurance card. You'll present it when you go to the pearly gates. You know, all these ideas that aren't real. No, the Bible says, no, don't use your freedom to serve yourself. Don't use it to go back into that life. I've set you free to something much greater. Pursue this. Walk after me. Follow me. But we think that maybe we can kind of try to still please God and produce some of these spiritual qualities and be a good Christian and yet still kind of live for ourselves and just give in to the desires of the flesh. Paul is saying you can't do that. They are completely opposed to each other. That means, and I want us to all hear this, it is possible for you to have a form of religion that looks like Christianity on the surface and actually fully void of the true power of the Spirit of God working in your life. You can know and try to do, but you're actually not walking in the Spirit. You're just doing it by the the desires of your own flesh. In fact, you can be saved and have the ability to walk in the newness of life and yet rely on your flesh to try to carry it out, and that always leads to spiritual drought and doubt. Because the flesh couldn't save you, and the flesh has no ability to actually help you abide in Christ. Your flesh cannot produce the fruit that the Spirit of God produces in our lives. And so we all have this flesh. We're all struggling with it. It's constantly tempting us. It it doesn't produce things that are pleasing to God. And the third thing we see from this text is that the desires of the flesh are selfish and destructive. Verses 19 through 21 list out what the desires of the flesh manifest themselves into in reality. And we might not want to accept this list. We might not want to think that, well, maybe a little bit, but not as bad as some other, so I'm okay. The reality is, if you are just indulging your fleshly desires, they will manifest themselves in these ways. Doesn't mean that if you're Uh, walking in the flesh, you have to do all these things? No. There's lots of different things. There's sexual sins. There's religious sins. There's interpersonal sins all reflected in here, but they are selfish. You giving in to this idea that you're basically good, and if you just kind of do what you think is good, good things are going to happen for you and for other people is inconsistent with what Scripture says. 
living out your fleshly desires are selfish. You are number one. And even though you might do something that benefits other people, your ultimate goal is that it ultimately benefits you more than anybody else. And that sinfulness left unchecked will lead to conflict. Think about the conflict in your life right now. Is there anybody in your life that you have right now a conflict with? You don't talk with them. You don't see eye to eye. Every time you get together, there seems to be a fight or tension. My guess is that some aspect of the works of the flesh is evident in those interpersonal relationships. Some of them. And yet we see what the Spirit of God will produce. But the warning here, and I want us to hear this, in verse 21 it says, I'm warning you about these things, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. One of the questions that sometimes people ask is, like, this seems inconsistent with what Scripture is teaching. Because I thought that if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So that if I have sexually sinned, or if I have had these, these interpersonal sins, or if I've done something that has been offensive to God in the way that I've approached uh, even following him, I thought that I could confess that he would forgive me. But it says here that if I've done any of these things, does that mean that I can't go to heaven? Does that mean that I have no ability to be able to earn God's favor if I've sinned in this way? That's not what it's saying. The warning here is this. That is, if we continue to indulge the flesh, what the Bible says happens is that our heart, our heart and our minds become calloused. They become dark. To the point that, what is an inheritance? An inheritance is not earned, it's something given. But it's saying, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. God is saying, here, I, I want to give you this. I have paid, I've sent my son to pay for your sins. I'm offering salvation through faith in my son, and yet you don't want it. Because why? You want what the flesh wants more. And he's saying, do not let the deception of sin continue to grow in your life because it has deep hooks that are hard to break free from. I don't think you and I always have our kind of awareness up in regards to the flesh. I think we walk around in a world that is sinful and broken and we're trying to distance ourselves from it and be selective in the groups that we participate in in, in the world to, to, to be faithful to God and to avoid some pitfalls. And I think we're really keen on Satan and his attempts to try to, to, to tempt us and to throw fiery darts and we understand about the armor of God and yet this flesh is, is inside of us and it's going to want to try to distort, diminish the Holy Spirit's uh, uh, influence in our lives. It's going to try to kind of cause us to compromise our standards. Is it really that bad? And if you don't believe me, I just would love to encourage you this week to go back and read Genesis chapter 3. And you see the interaction between the serpent and Eve. What the serpent offered Eve was not this completely contrasting offer opposed to God. He first questioned, did God really say that? And then he questioned God's motives. God just doesn't want you to have this. And he offers her, there's actually something greater than what God's offered you. He begins to play on all those affections. He begins to play on these fleshly desires. And you and I need to be careful that we're not drawn into that because it's the same tactic that he has today. Paul would go on to write in this letter in chapter 6, he says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows in the flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Our flesh is something that we need to be on guard against because 
the desires and the works that it produces are destructive. So how do we survive? How are you and I going to survive the sabotage that the flesh is constantly going to try to do until we're with our Savior? Well, he gives us an idea here, verses 24 and 25. He says, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. We look here at verse 25, it says, if we live by the Spirit, what that means is, is if we've been made alive by faith in Christ, if you have been born again, if the power of the flesh has been broken in your life, if now you have the Holy Spirit residing in you, and now the ability to choose to follow the Lord rather than follow the, the, the sinful desires of your sinful, uh, sinful nature, if that is true, here's how we overcome this constant barrage from our flesh, is we keep in step with the Spirit. The New American says, we walk by the Spirit. In the Greek language, it's literally to follow in the footsteps. Uh, some people have used it. It says it has more kind of a military kind of formation that you walk in line, you follow in the same marching direction, that you stay close. Warren Wearsby described it as this, to, to keep in step with the Spirit is to not run ahead and to not lag behind. A year or so ago, it's maybe a little bit longer, um, the pastors invited me to go fishing with them up at the Metolius River. So you just go over the pass into just before you get to Sisters there. And, and I'm not a fisherman. I'm a golfer by trade. Uh, it's very different. It's a very different hobby. Um, I tend to lose as much things on the golf course as I do in the river, but that's a story for another time. Uh, and so we were walking and we're fishing in the river. And so they gave me all the gear. They gave me the waders. They gave me the rod. They gave me all the technique to do. Uh, and so I'm like, this is great. And so we started out. There's this little bridge. And we're kind of fishing off the bank. And it's great. Like, hey, let's go a little bit deeper in there. So we go deeper in towards Camp Sherman and some beautiful places I'd never been. Some awesome, amazing um, just scenes and sights. And, and yet he said, okay, we're going to cross the river. And I'm like, all right, well, uh, let's get back in the car. We'll drive... No, no, we're just going to walk across the river. I'm a city boy. This is like, I don't, I, I, my mom probably freaked out that I was even there without a life jacket on. And, uh, and, the, and, the, and the river is moving. It's, it's going. And there's, it's moving pretty quickly. And they're like, oh, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Famous last words. If they ever tell you that fishing, you know, if Pastor Justin says in a sermon, you'll be fine if you follow Christ, believe that. If he says you'll be fine walking across the river, ask some more questions before you do it. Okay. <laughs> And so we're walking, and they're like, just, you just follow me. We're going to walk across. You just keep moving. You follow the same steps. Just be aware. You'll, you'll be fine. Just keep moving. Stay in step. Sure enough, it worked out. And then we went down a little further. We got to the other side of the river. We fished a little bit more, and then, okay, we're going to cross again. And now there's a sign in the river that says, careful, like warning currents, like we're going to go across there. So they said, all right, let's do this. I'm like, all right. I'm saved, so I know where I'm going, but uh, I'll, let's, let's do this. And we walked across the river. So then they take us, I mean, they take me way into the trail. And, like, there's no light anymore. I mean, it's dark, and we're fishing still. And it was, I mean, it was a lot of fun, a lot of laughs. As all right, we need to get back. Uh, we got to get back to the truck. So we start walking, and I'm trying to walk now. I've got the rod and everything, and, 
now we're walking on this trail, get back, and I trip. I'm in the back of the line, and I trip, and I come back up, and now there's like hooks in my waders. I can't like actually, and I'm trying to fight it. The more I fight it, the more I get stuck. And so I'm like having to walk in this abbreviated way, and they're like just, they're booking it because light is quickly going out. I have no flashlight. I have no cell phone service, and I'm trying to walk, and now I've fallen behind, and I'm hoping I'm going to get there. Now, you would think these pastors would have stopped and recognized that I was (laughs) not there. You know, the thing I was most concerned about wasn't not finding the truck or dying or never seeing my wife again. It was, I'm going to get teased about this. And sure enough, when I got back, they had to help me get undone. Why do I tell that story? Sometimes we're going to come across in life and we're going to come across things that seem very scary. They seem dangerous. It might even seem like, man, I'm not sure this is wise. But if the Spirit of God is in it and He is directing us to do something, He says, follow me, keep in step with me, and I will, over, I will overcome anything that's going to try to get you and knock you down and draw you under. Another pastor described this meaning to walk consistently and obediently, obediently in the life that God has given. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is an abiding. Perhaps you've heard that word. To abide means to remain. It speaks to consistent obedience. That means that Christ shouldn't just be one of our guys. I mean, you know, in life we can get people that we go to, like we have a chiropractor. We got a guy who helps me with my back. You know, I got a guy, he's good. Or I got a mechanic, he's a good one. I got a guy who can fix my car. I got a hairstylist. I, I got a guy or a gal who can, you know, she, she takes care of my hair. And, and we got these people on speed dial, and it's kind of like we've got people that are there for us. And we go and we go to them, and they fix us all up, and then we go away. And then when it's time to get fixed back up, we gotta, we'll go check in, and they go away. God is not one of your guys. Yeah, when I start to kind of, you know, life starts to go a little bit sideways, and things aren't working out the way I want. I don't really know where I'm supposed to go, and I go, I go to church, and I check in with God, and then I feel better, and then I kind of go back into the, the grind. No, no, no. If you're going to overcome this enemy, the flesh, you got to stay in step with the Spirit. It's not an occasional influence of the Spirit. It's an abiding state. So how do we do that? Two things, real quick. If you want to stay in step with the Spirit of God, We need to keep our minds set on the Spirit. We don't have time for it this morning, but there are two passages. If you want to write them down and look at them this week, Romans 8, verses 5 through 14, and Romans 6, verses 6 through 13. If you can't remember anything, just read through Romans 6 and Romans 8 this week. It does a lot of talking about the flesh and the Spirit. What does it mean to keep our minds on the Spirit? Well, it tells us in Romans that We're no longer obligated to do what the flesh says. I mentioned this a while ago, that the the, the power of sin has been broken. You and I actually have the ability to recognize sin and say, no, I choose not to fulfill that desire. I'm going to follow after Christ. I'm going to be obedient to what God says. I'm not going to do what the flesh says. So the mindset on the Spirit is a mind that's constantly drawn to God's Word. 
A mind that's constantly saying, what does God's word have to give me this morning? What does God's word have to give me this evening? What does God's word have to say to me? How can it help me with this situation or dilemma that I'm following, finding myself in? How can it help me through that? It says in Romans chapter 8 that the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. How many of you in the room this morning would like more peace? I'm telling you right now, if you don't have peace, it's not because it's not been made available through Christ. Oftentimes the chaos and the destruction is because all of these enemies combined are attacking us and we're not settled. We come in frantic. There's just too much information. There's too many things drawing our attention. Towards Christ, where life and peace are found. They're, they're drawing us away into things that promise momentary fulfillment or they make false promises that they can never deliver on. And yet we will say, but I'm going to be the exception to the rule. No, no, I've got this figured out. Doesn't matter all the millions of people who've thought the same thing, who've already passed away and found out that it didn't work out. I have figured it out. No, it says, the life, the mind that's focused on Christ, that's, that's saying, Spirit of God, give me understanding of God's word. Direct my steps. Give me wisdom. Encourage my heart. Help me overcome my fear. It says, there, if I go there, I will find life and peace. But it says also in this passage in Romans 8 that the mind set on the flesh, the one that's committed to being focused on carrying out the desires of the flesh, leads to death. It could be physical death, but I think it's speaking to the spiritual aspect here. That the mindset on the flesh is, is as intoxicating and as pleasant and as attractive as the desires of the flesh seem, they actually lead to an absence of satisfaction. That you can follow those things and pursue those things and desire those things and not actually live a satisfied life. So if we want to stay in step with the Spirit, because that's how we overcome the flesh, we have to have our mindset on the Spirit. We have to be going to God's word and letting him speak to us and letting the Holy Spirit give us understanding and continue to put truth in. Because the Bible says, focus on what is true. But the second thing we got to do if we're going to stay in step with the Spirit is we got to present every part of ourselves to the Lord. In Romans chapter 6, Paul presents two choices. You're either a slave being controlled and influenced and led by your flesh or you are being controlled, influenced, led by the Spirit. There's no middle ground. And this isn't just a mental pursuit, but a, a physical one. It says, present your bodies, not as instruments of unrighteousness, but as instruments of righteousness, weapons of righteousness in some of our translations. What does that even mean? Why is God so concerned that we give him our bodies and not just our, our belief? Warren Wiersbe puts it like this, the believer's body is God's temple and he wants to use it for his glory. But Paul wrote that the body is also God's tool and God's weapon. God wants to use the members of his body as tools for building his kingdom and weapons for fighting his enemies. We are free in Christ. We are free. The death and the sting of death has no longer any reign on us. The power and control of it, it's been broken through our faith. But God is saying, I don't want you just to believe, I want you to follow me, stay in step with me, live for me, not for yourselves. This morning, as we talk about the flesh, like we mentioned at the very beginning, it is possible that this stirs up a little bit of conviction in us. 
Because we begin to inspect our hearts. It might be that, that this week we've been focusing more on the desires of our flesh rather than checking in with the Lord and saying, God, what is it that you have for me today? What is it that you're calling me to? What is it that you are wanting me to be? I want you to remember that medical kit we packed at the very beginning. If you believed in the gospel for your salvation, you are his. That that conviction is actually a grace that he's given to us. That if you are being convicted, that is probably evidence that the Holy Spirit is in you. And as you begin to feel that conviction, instead of trying to fix it on your own or try to kind of push it away and diminish that it's really that big of an issue, confess it. Would you pray with me? As we uh, get ready to leave this morning, I just want to ask you a simple question as you're As you're sitting there, are you in step with the Spirit this morning? I got to believe over this last season of life, there's been many ways that your flesh has tried to tempt you to focus on yourself and your own abilities rather than to completely live for the Lord. In Hebrews, it tells us that Jesus understands. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. And then it calls us to this. It says, therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This morning, if you would say, you know, I haven't been actually in step with the Spirit. I've been giving in to my flesh. My encouragement to you this morning is if you were a follower of Jesus Christ, that you would confess that. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and yet the Holy Spirit right now is convicting you that this is true for you, that you have been living your life for your own desires and not for anything else, but yet they're not leading to life. The offer is still available for you today. Anyone who would believe in the gospel will be saved. And I would encourage you to not leave before beginning that relationship there might be some of you though right now say man the Lord has been teaching me a lot of lessons and this this year I have uh, actually the Lord's already exposed this and right now Pete I could say that I'm honestly walking in step with the spirit it's not my own strength it's his but I'm 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 already working on that I just want to encourage you don't stop every day the flesh is going to tempt you. It, it, he's not ever going to say, okay, I give up. You're, you're too committed to God. No. Continue to seek him. Father God, I pray that as we attempt to overcome our flesh, that we would not do it with human means, with our own strength or intellect, but that we would rely solely on the power of the Spirit of God, and that every day we would live as one in step with you. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. We conclude our time singing the song that we learned earlier. In God's hands, he holds the victory. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. 
gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. You take. You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. Cause I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. worshiping with you here this morning. Let's go live for our Savior and ask him for the victory. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week. Never been anyone like you. You are worth.
the prayer? Yes, God, you are good. God, you are good. And God, you are good. Yes, God, you're so good. Yes, you're so Oh, your mercy never fails. 